0: The blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, scar! It's too good to be true, but believe
1: it! Oh, Kale, Kale! Now Rubidoux,
2: top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer! Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And oh. Zadorov smash! <laughs> oh my
0: goodness! Yeah, what a bone crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench.
2: Hello everybody out there in Avalanche Land. Welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk with JJ Juarez and Arif Dean. I am JJ Juarez with me, of course, is Arif Dean. We got so much to talk about, don't we today, Arif?
1: Yeah, we sure do. We're getting to that time of the season with the deadline, the games, the outdoor game. It's it's getting fun.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know me. I like to stay organized. I like to prepare for these podcasts. For a second there, I almost didn't prepare. I almost said yeah. there's so much to talk about that we don't even need it, but of course, you know, my my brain goes all over the place i need to have some sort of organization so for starters i think first thing we got to cover was just i guess the disaster of an outdoor game that kind of happened some people had great time don't get me wrong media like yourself some people did really did enjoy the experience but i think overall it was a pretty big failure
1: yeah uh logistically it was a very big failure you know the the venue was great the atmosphere was great the game was great i mean you know i you know, sitting in the in a in a football press room where there's windows and you don't really get a feel for the atmosphere like you would in an ice rink, it was hard to really, you know, from that far view, sort of get an idea of how good the Avalanche actually played in that game until I went home and watched the highlights and realized, yeah, Jonathan Quick just stole one for the Kings. So from that point of view it was a very, very great event. The venue, the flyover, the national anthem, the jerseys, I know you probably don't agree with me, mm. <laughs> looked great. Everything was just awesome. The weather was like perfect. It was a great venue. It was a great time. But logistically, it was an absolute disaster, a failure, and a forgettable experience Where, to the point where the Avalanche had a game yesterday. There wasn't a single highlight shown on the Jumbotron that wasn't mentioned at all. Uh, I had a theory going into yesterday's game that if they had, during one of the commercial breaks, a highlight saying, yeah, the Avalanche hosted the stadium series on Saturday, my theory was the Pepsi Center sold out crowd was going to boo. But the (laughs) Avalanche... PR staff, I'm guessing, picked up on the disaster that it was and tried to sweep it under the rug. Swept it under the rug. Forgettable experience. They did not even mention it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I got a lot to say in contrary to that. First of all, I didn't like the way the jerseys looked. Um, I didn't like the helmets. They didn't even match the jerseys, which was my biggest beef. The two yeah. blues were off. Um, really. I but
1: didn't even notice that. They're, they're,
2: I mean, I, I stayed home, like I mentioned on our last podcast. <laughs> Can't say I didn't tell you so because I absolutely yeah. told you this was going to happen. I said it was going to be a disaster going in and out. So I stayed home. I I mentioned there's no real good reason for me to ever go to Colorado Springs. So I watched it from the comfort of my couch, and um, I'm happy I did so. You know, I heard a lot of fans' experience say that they had terrible views. Obviously, the traffic was a disaster. The concessions was a mess. Um, But I'm really more concerned about the hockey more than anything. I mean, sure, all that was a disaster, but let's talk about the hockey a little bit. And I, you said that the Avalanche played well. Jonathan Quick sold the show. I just thought that that wasn't the avalanche we're used to seeing. Sure, I mean, it was a hockey game. They're both played on, playing on the same sheet of ice, but it affected the avalanche more. And my, fir- my first worry was when, and I know you were very, I guess, brought down by this, but when the media skate was canceled, I thought that was a telling sign. Now, did they cancel it because the ice wasn't ready, or what what were some what, what, what was told to you as the reason the media skate was canceled?
1: So, I'm not sure why they pushed everything back an hour, because the Avalanche was supposed to practice at 2 o'clock Friday. They ended up taking the ice at 3. Uh, By the time the Kings were on there, by the time their family skate ended, there were some media, Avalanche-specific media, that were skating. Um, The ice seemed fine, even on Friday. It seemed like it was ready to rock and ready to roll, and it looked good. And even during the game, the ice looked fine. So, I'm not sure exactly why that was canceled, but everything was pushed back an hour, and it could be because – in the end, it's still Colorado. It's very sunny, and 2 o'clock p.m. may have been too sunny of a time for the Avalanche to practice. So it probably played a factor.
2: I think it was very telling when you would see Nathan McKinnon do his typical fly down the ice, and it didn't yeah. look like he was gaining ground on people, you know? So the ice m- maybe not have been that big of a factor. I think it did play a role in just how the Avalanche style, you know, is, is supposed to look.
1: I think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I agree or disagree on the ice thing because I'm not, you know, as. Uh, I don't pick up on those things as much as others might, but I definitely think the weather had something to do with it in terms of the temperature. you got to remember, when the Avalanche played that outdoor game against the Red Wings, it was a crispy 55 to 65-degree game the entire time from puck drop to the end of the game. It was perfect weather. It was indoor Pepsi Center weather with no wind, nothing like that, clear skies. Yesterday was the same thing, but it was really friggin' cold. Mm -hmm. Or not yesterday, but Saturday. It was the same thing, but it was really cold. And I think that did play a factor um, I remember after the game, I was sitting in the presser with uh, Tyler Tafoli and Andre Kopitar, now former King Tyler Tifoli. Uh We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said that. They said that the game, you know, it started off, it was somewhere in the 30s. It was 32.5 degrees at puck drop, right to the very. Point five. i don't know why that's how they announced mm-hmm. it but by the time the third period came around to fully or kopitar said he's like we went into the locker room for the second intermission we came out for the third and we looked at each other we're like did the temperature just drop like 15 degrees and it did it was like 16 17 degrees for the third period. Mm. So I think that played a factor as the game went on, that cold weather really, you know, affected the Avs.
2: Yeah, and I don't, I didn't hear any Avs players say anything, maybe just because it, it flew over my head and I missed it, but I did hear both Dowdy and Kopitar <coughs> comment on how they liked the ice. So who knows what yeah. it really looked like. To me, it looked like it was choppy, but either way the Avs just didn't look like themselves to me that night. And that's the biggest thing to me is this was the team that was last in the West Conference against a team that was fighting for first in the West Conference, you know Didn't seem like the game that the abs were gonna come out flat for but something happened and to me it looked like they came out
1: flat Uh I I don't think they came out flat. <laughs> I just think everything— We're going to
2: disagree on this whole podcast. I, I just
1: think uh, everything after the beginning of the game was flat because you got to remember, ten fifteen into the game, the Avalanche had a 13-1 shot advantage. They had a bunch of chances to get on the board first. And when I say Kings, uh, uh, Kings goalie, Jonathan Quick, stole the show, I mean early on because you saw against the Tampa Bay game yesterday. Yes, we know the Avalanche lost. They blew a 1-0 lead. They went down 3-1. They lost in overtime after making a comeback. We know that. But the Avalanche were able to capitalize and get that first goal against Tampa Bay that they were not able to get against the Kings and it's not like the Kings are this awesome team but they do have a good coach they have a lot of veterans they knew what they were getting going up against the Avalanche and they said we need to play this game the only way we can to beat the Avs and the only way that was was to score the first goal and sit back and play defense yeah and that's exactly what they did as soon as the Avalanche were unable to capitalize on that 13 shot barrage in the first 10 minutes of the first period and then LA ended up scoring that fluky goal it was over. It was over from there.
2: Yeah, I'd like to think that, you know, especially because traditionally, L.A. does give the avalanche a hard time. I'd like to think that that was the case here, but it's hard for me to just argue with what I saw with my eyes, and I just, I don't think that was a normal NHL hockey game that should have cost two points um, in either direction, just because it wasn't your standard NHL game. So, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, it's behind us, but um, it seems like everybody just kind of hated it, and wish it never happened
1: yeah uh the avalanche are about to get really you know into that spotlight of being one of the nhl's best teams and sort of uh involved in a lot of these big events and the hoopla of being on the national uh, uh stage for the nhl world or international if you include canada so you gotta you know remember the blackhawks have had all these outdoor games i'm pretty sure they're winless in them they may have won one it got to the point where blackhawk fans were like Maybe stop giving us outdoor games. So you don't want to get there with the Avalanche because it's just hilarious that they lost this game the same way as the one in 2016, giving up the game winner with a minute left. Like it's – you can't write this stuff.
2: Also curious to me is that that, that was LA's third outdoor game versus Colorado's only yeah. second. doesn't make sense considering where they are on the map. but um.
1: Well, yeah. That was more of a case of playing games in California, which actually probably has a factor in why Kopitar and Doughty said that the ice was better because it wasn't humid in California, so it probably
2: couldn't be worse, right? Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, we've heard rumors that Colorado Springs is starting to be scouted for an AHL team, so Mm -hmm. perhaps that was just a test on, hey, what's the hockey market like in Colorado Springs? Do we have a draw down here? Because they have had some teams down there in the past that failed miserably. Yeah. Maybe they're, you know, testing the water to see if they can get another one going. Yeah,
1: and uh, the word out there, not that I am an insider with uh, information on this, but the word out there from what I've seen from... Uh, other media people is that it's the Calgary Flames that are looking at that and the Stockton Heat are the team that are looking to relocate to the Colorado Springs to be the Flames AHL team and play at the Broadmoor.
2: Super fascinating to go from zero AHL teams to suddenly two in the state of Colorado. Yeah
1: I was saying this yesterday it's you know uh, it doesn't matter who the team is affiliated with it speaks volumes to the market of hockey in Colorado in general that not only do you have an NHL team and now suddenly you have this minor league program that's growing high school hockey's become a big deal Valor's got George Guazdecki as their coach now from du denver university is an amazing college program and then now you have two ahl teams it really speaks volumes to how much hockey has has become a part of the Colorado lifestyle over the last two and a half decades
2: yeah we're sending more pros to the nhl than any other sport i'd imagine yeah for sure um uh, i guess that's enough from the outdoor game you know let's put that behind us everybody uh it was ugly not for everybody but Arif and a handful of fans, apparently. Um, I I guess now we got to move on to this Tampa Bay loss because that was, you know, we are very much What Have You Done For Me Recently podcast. What a game. And, yeah, hell of a game. Hard fought for only one point. But, um, you know, not exactly a good goalie uh, in the other net. And that's kind of what I'm disappointed about is that they couldn't figure out a way to really beat McElhaney. He didn't have a tremendous game. But at the end of the day, he kind of was the difference.
1: Yeah, he made a couple saves in there that sort of were the difference between the Avalanche coming out to a bigger lead, uh, or even taking the lead when it was 3-3 three to three late in the third period. Um, and obviously the Avalanche, you know, they struck gold having the Tampa Bay Lightning come to town, who'd won 10 straight, who had won 20 of their last 23 games, and Vasilevsky's not playing. Vasilevsky was 19-0 and 2 in his last 21. So even if you were going to beat him, it wasn't going to be in regulation. Uh, so And then they scored the first goal. The second period started. Burakovsky had a breakaway, missed a net. So there were a lot of opportunities. uh, But all things considered, with the Rantanen injury, with everything that happened, that was a huge point for the Avalanche to come away with.
2: Now, it feels like a bit of slight that they're not going to play. And I remember this happening from a couple years past, you know, that they would instead play their backup goalie because, in all honesty, are they really that scared of the Avalanche? This year, obviously, a different story. This is a much more potent offensive team. But, you know, what's the reason for starting Vasilevsky against the Avalanche? That's- or for,
1: for not starting him? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure it has something to do with scheduling. You know, even though you're playing the Avalanche, in the end you still have other games that are more important in a sense. Uh, they just came off games against Philly, Pittsburgh, Columbus. So maybe it had to do with the fact that they were playing a lot of uh, Eastern Conference mm-hmm. teams, wanted to give him a night off. Uh, after the game yesterday, they don't play again until Thursday and then Saturday. So, you know, it may have just been something to do with, you know what, we've won so many games in a row, let's say Vasilevsky for the games against the Bostons and the Torontos and the Washingtons. Uh, I don't know if that's for sure, but, you know, the the Avalanche have also played france both times against Tampa Bay. Granted, one of them was a back-to-back, and now they had no choice.
2: It makes sense. I just I would feel a little slighted if I was, you know, on the Avalanche, like a little bit disrespected if you ask me. Um, But looking at the other end of the ice, the opposite crease, Pavel Fransuz didn't really have uh, the night we expect out of Pavel Fransuz. I kind of would say the same thing against the Kings. I mean, he didn't make or break that Kings game, but he wasn't looking like the sharp Fransuz we're used to seeing.
1: Yeah, and I talked to him yesterday, and he said, you know, I haven't played a lot lately. Sometimes it's hard to jump into these games. Uh, The Kings game, like I feel for the guy, he had no business having to, you know, he had no business even needing to be involved in that Mm -hmm. game. Having to come in cold. Literally cold, cold, not liter- <laughs> not just the normal cold, like yeah. literally freezing cold into that game was, you know, not the best uh, situation for a goalie to be in. No doubt. And then being given the starting role in a game you are not expected to play, you are probably not going to play against a team on a 10-game winning streak that's 22-1 and in their last 23 games. It's not an ideal situation. Uh, he didn't play horrible, but he didn't play great. He didn't steal the game, but he didn't lose them the game. He was, you know, what you want out of a backup goalie, and that's why he's been all year. I just
2: I don't know. I Against a team like Tampa, you need him to be sharp. And I would say two of those
1: four goals that he let in, especially the, the overtime goal, yeah. easily savable. Yeah. I mean, Bednar said the same thing. The Cameron Gauntz goal was a big one that Bednar mentioned. It was an unscreened slap shot from the blue line that your goalie has to have. And those were the exact words the coach used. Uh, Cameron Gauntz, 2008 Avalanche <laughs> yeah. draft pick. He, he just knew he was going to score against them.
2: And then uh, the power play finally waking up a little bit. And it they looks look like, great. It looks like they're starting to you know, click a little more than just a, a one-off thing.
1: Yeah, they're, they changed the player positioning. They got players in different roles. Ranton in behind the net. I mean, not anymore because he's done. But Burakovsky coming in, breaking through the slot on that chance was just great. McKinnon's playing on the point, taking point shots, and then sort of shifting to the half wall where he usually is for the one-timer. He had one of those beautiful feeds where it was uh, – that that cross ice feed that he used to do to Ranton and for the one timer he did it to Burakovsky, Burakovsky. it was awesome. Yeah. Burakovsky missed the net, but it was like it's just nice to see them right. finally getting creative and going back to what works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I know exactly that shot you're talking about. Yeah, it, it was a
2: thing of beauty. That's kind of the moment where I was like, this power play is looking like yeah. it's back. And back then, back then not, yeah, something. and then not
1: to uh, undervalue how great Makar has looked on the power play. Uh, I've been saying for months, McCard's a great player. He's a phenomenal player. He's going to be one of the best in the league and win a lot of Norris trophies. We know this, but I also do believe one of the reasons why the Avalanche's power play has dropped, on top of the fact that Landeskog and Rantanen aren't as offensive as they've been the last couple of years, is the fact that Tyson Berry in that point position has looked a lot better and was a lot more comfortable feeding McKinnon and Rantanen at the half walls than McCarr was. McCar sort of you can tell he's got these jitters. It's 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 a hard role to play to quarterback a number one power play unit in the in the NHL, but you can tell his confidence is coming. Yesterday you can see that confidence. Every time he got the puck at the blue line, he was pushing the play forward, pushing Tampa Bay into their zone and uh, and uh, feeding McKinnon and Burakovsky and Rantanen before he got hurt mm-hmm. um, with a lot more confidence than he was before. So I definitely think the Avalanche power play can make a can can start uh, getting their their act together a lot more.
2: Yeah, and it was just getting stale, you know? Yeah. I think with yep. with the amount of video coverage that's out there, it's easy for any team to just study and easily see what the avalanche are trying to do that, you know, you got to throw throwing a curveball every once in a while. And I like the idea of just simply moving guys around. Yeah. You don't even have to change the strategy that much, but just put different guys with different skill sets to work in different situations.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they've they done a good job at that. Putting the on that top unit was, you know, was great to see. His, he's a big body. And the last goal that he scored wasn't necessarily a power play goal, but it certainly was a continuation off of a power play probably about 20 seconds later. And he parked his ass right in front of the net and tipped in a car shot. McCarr's shot wasn't even from the blue line. It was from nearly the hash marks because he was pushing Tampa Bay's defense toward McElhenney. So it was just, it was great to see all of these things that they were doing that they have not done for ultimately mm-hmm. the entire season. Yep. Good things happen in front of the net, I've been told.
2: McKinnon, we gotta talk about. I mean, he looked like Beast Mode again yeah. last night. He looked like yeah. video game cheat McKinnon. I mean, especially when Rantanen goes down, that's kind of when McKinnon knows how to step up. It's amazing how how just how he does have that other level, you know, when he's counted on the most, he's trying his best to carry the team. And then we can't, we can't forget to talk about that Forsberg hit.
1: <sighs> yeah, I'll I'll get to that <laughs> yeah. one. I'll start with McKinnon. So McKinnon, after the Los Angeles game, the outdoor game, he was the only player made available to media and uh, press conference room. Obviously, the locker room was available too. In the press conference room, he spoke by himself, very. More so than usual, his volume was very low, Mm -hmm. he had his head down, he was embarrassed. He did not look good in that outdoor game at all. He was a non-factor, he was ineffective, and he was unable to generate any kind of offense. You just knew, with Tampa Bay in town, and the reigning MVP uh, Hart Trophy Award winner Kucherov in town, and Point, and Stamkos, and all eyes on the avalanche, and a sold-out crowd, and the hottest team in the league— that McKinnon was going to step up and he did he ended up playing over 27 minutes the most he's ever played in a regular season game and his second most ice time in his career behind a game against Calgary last year in the playoffs that went to overtime so he played 27:13. 13 he had a bunch of shots a beautiful goal.
2: But he also gave up that game winning goal. Uh, why was that? Because he was tired.
1: I don't know. So I don't think it's because he was tired because he played twenty-seven minutes. He just I had think a long it was because there, yeah. he's exactly and that's but, usually I what mean, happens.
2: You know, it accumulates. It yeah. snowballs. And by the end of a season, you know, you're not gonna be able to play twenty-seven minutes as easily as you were back yeah. in October. And
1: there were there were two factors to take into account on that game winning goal. Number one, Kucherov is no slouch. No. That's the reigning Hart Trophy, the reigning MVP of the NHL. He is a fast-skilled player. Mm -hmm. Uh, could McKinnon have caught him? Yeah, perhaps. Number two, when Kucherov poked that puck away and went the other way, there was a split second. And in this game, a split second is all you need to make a difference. There was a split second where McKinnon's shoulders dropped, and he had an oh-shit moment. And that was the difference between him catching him and not catching him because when he started skating, he put his head down and he was flying behind Kucherov. But he had that split second of hesitation before he started chasing the player, and that could have probably been the difference. But I'm not going to pin that on McKinnon. It was a great play from Kucherov more so than it was a bad play from McKinnon. And... That's just the way it goes. It's three-on-three overtime, man. Just
2: more of us waiting for the Avalanche to figure out how to play for three-on-three overtime. I don't understand
1: why they can't do it. Four-on-four, they were great back in the day with with Barry, O'Reilly, Duchesne. They were great at four-on-four. Suddenly, three-on-three, you got the fastest player in the game, all the skill, and... They can't figure it out.
2: Well, I liked hearing Bednar after the game kind of break down the overtime and what happened. You know, yeah. he, he kind of said they got bunched up. So, you know, like exactly. there, there is yep such a higher level of thought that they're trying to push on the players in these overtimes. That's just it's just not clicking. They're not getting it or, you know, just things happen to way too fast. And, uh, you know, it's hard to recover from. But let's digress a little bit into that uh, Forsberg hit. That kind of caused a little bit of ruckus there at the end of the game. Everybody loved it from McKinnon. I was listening to serious XM NHL radio all day. Everybody was pumping his tires on just how great of a
1: hit that was. He got him right in the chest. Clean, beautiful, sweet, sweet hockey. That's what it was. It was very Peter Forsberg-like. And this is what I like about McKinnon that probably would not have happened a year ago, two years ago. Is when that player starts to whack at him. Sorelli was whacking at him, and I forget who the other guy was before Sorelli. When they start to whack at Nathan McKinnon, the wires cross in his head, mm-hmm. and he jumps in. This time, he just kept skating back and said, "You're not, you're not going to draw me into this." And he kept doing that until Ryan Graves jumped in. By the way, I don't think we mentioned this, but we're going to throw a Ryan Graves interview at the end of the, at the end of this podcast because I spoke to him yesterday one on one, and we talked about that hit. And he has some great quotes in there. Can't wait uh, for that. Can't yeah, wait. so uh, we'll we'll add that into the end of the podcast. But Ryan Graves jumped in uh, like a true soldier, saying, "You're not touching my best player." Landeskog jumped in. Barakowski, Everybody bunched up, and then Nathan McKinnon obviously had to pair up mm-hmm. with somebody. Again, McKinnon is not a slouch. He doesn't right. need people to do his dirty work for him. But you're the best, one of the best players in the game. You shouldn't be the guy that when Gerard was hit by the Coyotes a couple of years ago, he was the one jumping Ronaldo and Archibald and all these guys. Yeah. You don't want McKinnon being that person. So he really stepped back and said, I just laid out your guy clean. Get the heck out of my face.
2: Well, and that's the biggest thing about it is he's smart enough to know that it was a clean hit. What did I do wrong? What are you guys yeah, so mad about? Which is exactly. annoying from Tampa Bay's point of view. Like, why are they having their players suddenly get so mad over a hit they didn't even see? Now they're overreacting and then they look stupid because it was a clean hit in in the long run.
1: Because that's that's how it's become. It's become stick up for your teammates, uh, by all means necessary. When sometimes it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it ended and, in, a, in a. And the a funny thing play. is, there's times where a dirty hit happens, and then we'll sit here and talk about why didn't Zdorov step up and hit that guy that just cracked Gerard or whoever it may be. But when it's a clean hit, the it's it, it's hockey. Yeah, it's hockey just happens man. too fast. It's hockey. Yeah, I'm, I'm
2: pretty sure watching the replays too. Half the Tampa Bay players that were on the ice had their back turned to that hit, so yeah. they literally didn't know what happened. They and just I know saw when, their those, guy down.
1: when those slow motion replays happen and people saw the hit, they probably realized that was a clean, good, effective hit. Uh, but you you know you can't see it at full speed.
2: Just a monstrous hit. Just a testament to what Nate does in the offseason, yeah. all the training and the muscles he tries to put on. He's he's just a beast and it's fun, and major brownie points for Ryan Graves. Major sure. brownie points for Ryan he's, Graves. His fans didn't love him enough already. We'll
1: get into this more later when we talk about trade deadline stuff and his role on this team, but Ryan Graves is not going anywhere. We're getting he there. He not We're going getting anywhere. A couple an more things we got to touch player. on. Excellent
2: player. Um, that's all I've got from the Tampa Bay game. I wanted to kind of rewind just because it seems like the most meaningless at this point because it was so long ago, but the Caps – Loss. I mean, there was a lot of hype around that game, a lot of energy, and, you know, honestly, it was one I thought the Avalanche were going to come out buzzing for. They did. Unfortunately, they weren't able to hold on to that lead. Bad sign? Yeah.
1: (sighs) That one was, yes. That one was a bad sign. Losing to the Kings in the final minute was a bad sign. I wouldn't say the Tampa Bay game was a bad sign, all things considered, but... You gotta close out those games man you gotta get them to overtime at least Kings as well like the capitals game and the King's game should have both went to overtime and then it's a coin flip even if you lose them both and you're on a three OTl streak so be it we'll take it
2: yeah, I mean it was it was a frustrating one to watch because just like I said, there was a lot of hype around it. National TV changed their schedule just to cover this game, and the Avalanche just kind of acted like the Avalanche we've been—that's been frustrating us for the last month, month yeah. and a half now.
1: And that was the game where they were coming off of a five-game winning streak, so there was a lot of buzz around the Avalanche in terms of this is a good team and they can beat the Capitals. And you know, they drew the lucky hand in yeah. terms that Holtby was a net because he hasn't had the best season. Uh, and they were unable to score more than two goals
2: that that reminds me like we we have to be the most bipolar avalanche podcast out there because after our last podcast, we were all about a boys are buzzing five game win streak. now it seems like the sky's falling. everything was a disaster
1: i mean even even to that extent, I wouldn't really say the sky's falling. they're still you can tell you know they're losing these games on small on on little plays here and there, but you can still tell like. If your worst performance of the season is a 2-1 to loss to the Kings, it happens. You know, things like that happen. Um, but, you know, we're not talking about they got cranked for 10 goals by Montreal anymore. They lost 6 nothing. I'm trying to think of a game this year where the Avalanche really got hammered, a 6-1 to loss, a 5 nothing loss. I haven't looked at the schedule, but I don't remember that being a thing anymore. So that's the cool thing is that the Avalanche aren't as, you know, their bad games are the kind of games that we used to – you know, think uh, of as a decent game that just ended up in a loss. So I wouldn't necessarily say the sky falling, especially when you look at the standings and the fact that if they get one point against the Islanders tomorrow, their first place in the West, tied with Dallas and St. Louis in terms of points, but they have the tiebreaker. And if they win, their first place outright, top five team in the NHL. Like You're right, you're right.
2: The sky isn't falling, mainly because they are still within one point of the top of the division. But there is some concern. The reason I feel like the sky is falling, not only these losses, but now you're losing all of the studs. I mean, Kadri and Wilson have already been out for a while. You're you're out Calvert now. Philip Grubauer is now gone from the outdoor game. And now, worst of all, Miko Rantanen. Now it's time to get into these injuries. The sky is falling, in my opinion. Please, Arif, tell me why it's not.
1: I I wish I could tell you why it's not, but I can't. This has been the avalanche of season. When one guy goes down, seven other guys get jealous and join him on the injury reserve list. Like, that's just the way it's been. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened to Calvert. Bednar didn't either. Uh, We all saw what happened to Grubauer on TV. We all saw what happened to and on TV. Um, It's just bad luck, man. It's bad luck. And I mean, the Rantanen injury was ugly. You knew right away this awkward fall. You knew that was gonna be bad. Yeah, and we all, you know, we all can lip read what he said when he came off the ice in frustration, and he might be out for a while. You never know. My biggest worry with him is what is he gonna look like when he comes back because
2: the first time he came back from injury, you know. He he played well for a couple games and then he was
1: non-existent. For he a played well games. for nine minutes of one game, and yeah. had four points, and then sort of. Yeah, I mean, right now he's playing at a point per game pace. Almost, he's got forty-one and forty-two. Uh, you know, that's on pace for seventy-nine points in a full season, but that's also not the Rantanen that we know. Mm-hmm. So this year has kind of been a lot of injuries, a lot of things like that. He also just got a big contract. Um,
2: so what what Rantanen are we expecting to get once he is good and ready? That's what I'm, that's my biggest worry. Are we going to get this? in we've had all year and it's going to be a disappointing playoff for Miko because, you know, he's not having the year he was last year because it's only, he's only taking step backwards.
1: I wouldn't say uh, it's going to be that. I wouldn't say it's going to be that bad. Why am I so um,
2: pessimistic today? What's
1: wrong? Did I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously Rantanen is not the player he was last year, but you picked up a guy named Burakovsky who's been exceptional and is made up for that. Landeskog hasn't been as good as he was last year, but you picked up a similar player in Kadri who's been exceptional when healthy. The depth is just, you know. It's, it's it's the game-changer. You don't need Rantanen to score 90 points when you have this kind of depth. Edmonton relies on two players, and when one of those players goes down, you better hope the other guy takes over like Dreisaitl has. That's been the avalanche the last few years. Now they have the depth where... Come on, like, they went to the playoffs last year. Their second line was Soderbergh, Calvert, Nieto, Comfort, Kerfer. I don't know what it was. It was some sort of combination of that. That's becoming our second line now because of four to five injuries, and we're like, oh my god, this team has no depth. And it's like... We've been dealing with this for two years. We took the San they took the San Jose Sharks to game seven of the Western Conference final last year. The Sharks, who had a Nyquist on their friggin' fourth line, and the Avalanche were one goal away from beating them. So I think they can overcome this. And I think Ranton, even if he's not at the level he was last year completely, there's enough talent around them and the an trade impact. deadline around the corner to make up for it.
2: You just need your studs to be your studs, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, I hear what you're saying, and you're talking me off the ledge a little bit. Yeah, I mean, as
1: long as you have your McKinnon being your McKinnon and your McCarr being your McCarr, I think that's already more than a lot of other people can ask for.
2: Right, not to mention, you know, once Kadri's ready to come back. exactly. And whoever they acquire in the trade deadline. I want to get to a little bit more here. Uh, This will kind of lead us into the trade talk, I believe. But Grubauer, the injury, um, you know, I'm not really sure what he hurt. Obviously, all we know is a lower body Um, But just trying to watch it and analyze it and see, you know, put myself in that position, what would have hurt me? I can't really tell. It's got to be a a knee or an ankle or something of that sort. But I don't think it's going to be that big of an injury to the point where you're hearing a lot of trade rumors with the Avalanche and goaltenders. We've heard Corey Crawford. We've heard Henrik Lundquist. We've heard Carey Price. Obviously, none of these have been too viable of sources. It, you know, hasn't been oh, I'm hearing that this is happening. These are conversations that are being had. It's more just kind of ideas and theories, hypotheses that people like to float around trade deadline. But is it time to, to maybe start looking at a goalie, or do you think that, that Philip Grubauer is going to be back, Francis is going to be a more than adequate backup, and this is still going to be the tandem that, they, that they're going to ride in the playoffs with?
1: I think this is going to be the tandem they ride in the playoffs with. And the reason why I say that is because the trade deadline is six days away. The Avalanche have a lot of assets, but only so many assets to deal. And they have other things they need to address before the goalie thing. Um... I would much rather take my chances, assuming you know I was part of the Avalanche's uh, management staff, I would much rather take my chances on if Grubauer is out, Fran Suess can go on a crazy heater like uh, Antti Emi once did, like a Jordan Binnington once did, like a Michael Layton once did. I would much rather take my chance on that with a stacked team in front than I would on not addressing your forward depth and having you know TJ Tynan playing on your third line, but you have a Lundqvist in net just my opinion i think grubauer and francis will be the duo this year uh but you know depending on how the playoffs go in terms of performance and health that might change for the future
2: yeah and i also just don't like the names of those goalies floated around sure they're great goalies but they're all way past their prime i don't need an old goaltender man in this net i need somebody who's 28 to 30. I don't need him to be proven in the past. I just need him to be proven right now. And that's yeah that's what I think the Avalanche have. And so I, I think they need to stay in pat with the goal 10 And for yeah, sure.
1: if anything, I think they might pick up a goalie who can play in the AHL. And if you need him to be a call up, you feel a lot better than you would with an Adam Werner or Hunter Miska. Uh, that's what they had in Anton Bibo, but he got injured for the season. So they might pick up a depth guy like that. You know, you're number three goalie, your equivalent of a number seven Mark Barberio defenseman. That might be what they pick up, uh, but I don't see him going after a big name, even though there has been that rumor out there.
2: Yeah. Lastly, before we get into the fun trade talks, this is going to be our last podcast before the trade deadline. We plan on recapping the trade deadline Monday night with you. Um, We say a lot of things, so we'll see if we can make that happen. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to get into the call-ups here. Like you mentioned, Hunter Miska, TJ Tynan, and now the latest Martin Kout. Um, anything notable about those guys? Personally, I'm excited to see Martin Kaut get another shot. It's it's almost, I think, I don't want to say his last shot, but this is a really prove-it-to-us prove, prove it to us moment, I it's think, basically, for Martin Kout, It's
1: basically his first big shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, other shots have all been coming into training camp and being expected to do more than he did. This time he's getting an opportunity to play in the NHL. This is the only problem I have with it. T.J. Tynan was called up, started the game on a line with 81 and 17 with Kamenev and with Jost. It didn't take long for him to jump up to the third line uh, because of the Rantanen injury, and that to me says speaks volumes about what Bednar thinks about Kamenev and Jost, That the kid from the AHL jumped up to the third line on t- you know before those two guys who have been here all season. Uh, my issue with the count call up is is that the line he's going to play on? Is it going to be seventeen eighty one and 61?
2: Mm.
1: If that's the line he's going to play on, he's set up for failure. But I kind of hope, even though he had a good game yesterday, that him and TJ Tynan sort of split duties on that third line with Belmar and Nieto or with Belmar and Nachushkin, depending on which way Bednar goes with it just because I want to see him get a chance, at least a little bit of a chance with those more skilled players. And then obviously he will get a shot on the power play because we saw Kamenev on the second unit. And again, we know what Bednar thinks about Kamenev these days. So I can see him getting a shot on the power play. But if he's going to play the entire game even strength with Jost and Kamenev, I don't think it's much of an opportunity. I think it's just a body that's you know, filling yeah, the place. Yeah, I hear
2: you. And if that's the case, then I hope they give him as many opportunities as possible because you don't want to just... Deal away your former first-round draft pick and have him pan out somewhere else. So yeah, and they need I, to give him the longest, deepest look they can.
1: Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, they they did a lot of double shifting with McKinnon yesterday, even before and went down. So, you know, if they're going to throw out a few shifts here and there of McKinnon between Jost and Cow, even that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that.
2: Yeah, well, that's uh, all for the call-ups. Don't expect to see Miska... Um, we got Tynan in there. So I think it's time to uh, look into the trade deadline a little bit deeper. You know, a lot of the guys that we talked about last week are slowly becoming less available, like the Dylan DeMello's, the Tyler Toffoli's guys that we had on our wish list last year last week. Um, so what do the Avs do now? There's only a, a limited number of guys. You know, Chris Kreider's still a name that's being thrown out there. What what direction do you think? Well, let, let's let's play some more hypothesis games. Where, where, where do the Avs go now?
1: Uh, well, they're gonna—they're certainly gonna pick up a forward, maybe two. Uh, we already knew that beforehand, but now it's become even more. Now it's a necessity. Exactly. More than a, yeah. a luxury Sakic, that it was gonna. Exactly, be. Sakic its basically your move now, and you need to do something because of these injuries that have sort of piled up over the last ten days. Which, again, you know, injuries suck, but at least they happen before the deadline and not after, uh, to give Sakic that opportunity to replace the guy. Um, Pierre Lebrun a couple of weeks ago on his podcast with Scott Burnside at The Athletic said the Avalanche are not necessarily looking for a top six forward. They're looking for what he said was a funny phrase, a top seven-ish. And that's what you have. You know, those Donskoys, those Comfers, those guys that are exceptional third-line players. But when Rantanen goes down and you need to throw a Comfer or a Donskoi on the second line or the, th- or the first line – You know, it works. So a top seven-ish kind of guy. I think that's still what the Avalanche are looking for. But judging by just based off of what I've read from insiders and my own personal opinion of what I believe think about this team, I think the Avalanche are looking to acquire somebody that is not a rental anymore. Uh, We saw them in the running for Blake Coleman over the weekend. They were outbid by uh, they were they were in a bidding war with Edmonton, Boston, and the team that ended up getting them. We Tampa all got Bay. our hopes up for about uh, twenty five seconds. For about twenty five <laughs> seconds, exactly. And Blake Coleman would have been an exceptional pickup. He's a great player. He's very under the radar. Not many people know about him. Um, but he's under contract for one more year. Next year at one point eight million. The Avalanche were looking for that today. Pierre uh, – Not Pierre LeBrun, the other guy, Elliot Freeman today in his thirty one thoughts uh, blog he said that colorado is trying to make hockey deals to add up front and on the blue line hockey deals obviously being we're not trading a first and a second and a third for Kreider. we're going to make a trade for somebody who has more term you know a a restricted free agent we're not going to go out and pick up a derek brassard we're going to go out and pick up a peter mueller if you remember 10 years ago Mm -hmm. or whatever it was now so those are the kind of deals that the avalanche are looking for according to this according to what he said and uh I believe that too, because the Avalanche are missing that one guy. Colin Wilson was that one guy. He got injured. He has one year. He signed a one-year deal. Nichushkin became that one guy. Uh, I can see him sticking around. Tyson Jones has been a complete bust. Let's you know, let's call a spade a spade. 31 games without a goal. He's having his worst season of these three seasons, and he got perhaps his biggest opportunity because he started the season on a line with Kadri and freaking Burakovsky, and now he's on the fourth line with Cam and Evan and whoever they call it from the AHL. So the Avalanche are one forward away from having a good 12-man unit, and you can never have enough forwards. Look at Tampa Bay and their stacked lineup, and they just went and friggin' got Blake Coleman for a first-round draft pick last year, Nolan Foot, and a first-round draft pick this summer. So. I can see the Avalanche trading for somebody that has term on his contract. I have a theory of a couple players in mind of who I think it's going to be, and we can get into that. But the part that has always sparked my interest is the part where people keep saying the Avalanche are looking for defensemen. They're looking for depth defensemen. And by depth defensemen, we're not talking your Derek brassard leveled defensemen that are going to be your number seven or number eight guy like a Barbario. The Avalanche were linked to Martinez, who as of the recording of this podcast, according to Bob McKenzie, is about to get traded to Vegas probably by tomorrow by Wednesday. Um but the Avalanche looking at players like that. If you acquire a player, let's say the Avalanche went out and acquired a Alec Martinez, who are you going to sit? Graves is not going anywhere with Makar on that top unit. Eric Johnson and Gerard not going anywhere. Then you have Ian Cole not going anywhere and then you have Nikita Zadorov. It's not about what I think about Zadorov. It's not about what you think about Zadorov. It's not about what the listeners think about Zadorov. It's about what the Avalanche think of Zadorov, And what they think of Zidorov is a player that after that hellacious 2017 season, they gave him a two-year bridge deal. He played those two years, 2018 and 2019. 2018, he was put on the second pair with Tyson Berry, lost that job to Patrick Nemeth. 2019, he was put on the pair with Tyson Berry, lost that job to Ian Cole and to Patrick Nemeth. 2020, he wasn't even given that chance with Makar. Graves was put with Makar, Cole was played with Makar, and now he's the Avalanche's sixth favorite defenseman. The most physical game of the year last season, or or last night, against Tampa Bay, Nikita Zadorov played 12 minutes and 3 seconds. So that speaks volumes to what the Avalanche think. So he played those two seasons really quickly. When we thought he played those two seasons, he finished up his bridge deal going into this past summer after the San Jose playoff run and the Calgary playoff run. And how well he was in the playoff as that mean big defenseman. He was looking for the long-term contract this summer. They gave that long-term contract to Gerard and they gave him a one-year deal. So all the writing is on the wall that the Avalanche don't like Zdorov. I'm not even going to bother giving my opinion because this is the opinion that matters, is what the Avalanche think of him. And the numbers say it all, from the contract to the ice time to the position that he plays on this team. Well,
2: and I don't think it's unfair. I mean, how many times this season and this season alone have we seen, and as a defenseman, where's the most important side of the ice to take care of the puck? Your own side of the ice. How many times have we seen him give up the puck behind the net? Bad spots, you know, in the defensive zone. And we saw it even most recently uh, against L.A
1: against L.A. and against Detroit. Remember that terrible turnover behind the net, beginning yep. of the game? Zadorov's problem, in my opinion, and again, I'm not even going to bother giving my opinion of him as a player because I love his game mm-hmm. uh, and his character. He's a funny guy. But <laughs> Zadorov's issue is that his level of... Boneheaded plays, and his he's he's more let's put it this way he's more prone to making a boneheaded play than a lot of other guys. With Ian Cole, you know what you're gonna get you're gonna get a steady defenseman who sometimes makes a boneheaded play. With Zadorov, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's gonna Bobby it into the zone and take a clapper from the blue line top shelf, but other times he's gonna do the exact opposite and the goal's gonna result, you know, end up in your net. And my favorite way to explain a player like Zidorov your third-pairing defenseman, somebody like an Ian Cole as well. Zadorov is never going to be the player to win you a game. Mm. But he could be the player to lose you a game, and that's the problem. The Avalanche needs someone back there who cannot win them a game and not lose them a game, a la Ian Cole.
2: No, I, I think uh, you're on to something there. I think you, you, you might even be opening the eyes to, to many because um, you're right. The writing is on the wall. It's not obvious because they do like him. They do use him, but – you're starting to to notice it fade and you're starting to notice their patience for a lot of the, the baloney that comes with his game fade. But right now is the time to get rid of him because not all teams see that, you know, that all teams see the big guy that's throwing people 15 feet into the wall. You know, the big guy that, that blocks half the, defensive zone when he's playing the right yeah. position. So if you're going to deal him, now's probably the best time because exactly. his flaws haven't yep. been that exposed just yet. He
1: gets a lot of national coverage for being that big mean guy when he laid out Mark Shifley. Shoot, when he he's laid part of out- our intro. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, people love that kind of a player. So that brings me to my theory of what I think is going to happen at the deadline. What I think the Avalanche are going to do is make a hockey deal and trade Zadorov now, not in the summer. They're going to trade him now for a forward and a forward that probably has term maybe another year, another two years. And then they're going to turn around and they're going to pick up a six man defenseman to play on the third pair. Alec Martinez is obviously going to be off the, off the market by the time this podcast is uploaded. Brendan Dillon was traded today. Dylan DeMello was traded today. Marco Scandella was traded today. But there are still options out there. There's defensemen that we haven't thought of. And then there's, you know, Eric Gustafson in Chicago. And there's a lot of other options out there.
2: Well, and we've heard the rumors just this weekend, too, about how oh Montreal's coming in to watch the Tampa game. Yep. And if there's one thing you know about Montreal is they like those physical guys. They like a guy like Zidane. They don't have many of them. They like a guy like A.J. Greer. You know, those are the guys that are on their radar. I remember once – what was it? Once the the season started – Somebody was saying that they were surprised that Montreal didn't scoop up A.J. Greer off of, uh, I, I think he was on waivers at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. So um, th- somebody within the Avalanche said that they were very surprised that Montreal didn't scoop him up. So that's the kind of guy that they like. That's the kind of guy on their radar. I don't, th- obviously, we, we kind of already put the rumors to bed about Kerry Price probably being part of that. I don't think that's it at all. No. But you can see maybe a Jonathan Drew ran at play. You've heard rumors of Kovalchuk. Maybe they're thinking about just flipping him for a little profit. So I I think that could be a very good reason why
1: Montreal was here. They're looking at Zdorov. I think so, too. And Jonathan Drouin, I believe, is a restricted free agent this summer. Uh Brendan Gallagher has one more year, that would be a hell of a pickup. Three point seven five million for one more year before he's a UFA and he is the exact type of he's like a more skilled right handed shot Calvert. Yeah, a smaller Calvert was yeah, what I was gonna say he's just an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. That's the guy that we would probably look at to be the best fit for the avalanche. But the guy that I suddenly am starting to think is the guy they want is Thomas Tatar. He leads the Canadians in points. He makes four point seven five this year and next year. Maybe the Habs will, you know, uh, eat up some of that salary. And even if they don't, the Avalanche can afford it next year. Um, great. I, w- I would hate it, just because he seems to be everybody's used trash, right? I mean,
2: Detroit got rid of him because he wasn't a fit in there. Las Vegas got rid of him because he didn't fit in there. Now <sighs> Montreal. Is so team I to I talk disagree
1: with it. that. My opinion of Tatar in Detroit, he was a great player. Uh the problem in Detroit was twofold. Number one, when the coaching change – well, not necessarily when the coaching change, but when the uh, – when the when, when they switched from being a playoff team to shifting more towards let's start our rebuild, him and Nyquist were the first guys that they said, let's get rid of these guys. Number two, the second problem in Detroit is that Tatar and Nyquist, since I'm on the subject of, of, of the Red Wings in general, those two guys were looked at as the saviors. When Shanahan and Iserman and those and that generation was starting to wind down, your saviors were Zetterberg and Datsuk. Then you had these two young guys named Tatar and Nyquist. Everybody in Detroit thought that those were going to be the next big thing, and they weren't. So now you had to get rid of them because you're starting to rebuild. So they got a heck of a haul for him in Vegas, a first, a second, and a third. He goes to Vegas, and that was a complete... Shit show of mm-hmm. a of of a He was trip. scratched half the time. He was scratched half the time. Even though they made the Stanley Cup final, he had a big goal against Winnipeg in the third round. And, and that he was, was a it.
2: deadline move that was supposed to propel them to be a better yes. team.
1: He scored thirty Sounds goals familiar. in the past. He came to Vegas and it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Then he gets traded to Montreal. He had a he had a career year last year, fifty eight points. Uh, he's always scoring twenty five to thirty goals. He always puts up thirty to thirty five assists. This year, he's at 53 points in 61 games. He leads the Habs offense by a mile. He's five points away from his career high. He's 29 years old, and he's got one more year left on his deal. He plays center. He plays wing. And I've watched more games... Uh, on Tatar than a lot of other people in Colorado because I grew up in Detroit and good old Fox Sports Detroit. I've watched him play a lot, and I really think he would be a good fit with the Avalanche. I truly think so. I don't think he's everybody's trash that, you know, is a leftover. I think that was only a a, a thing that happened with Vegas, and that was because he was the one player that they acquired to, to stick into this team that had all this chemistry and this, you know, uh, this land of misfit toys that they got Mm -hmm. in the expansion draft and it just it was never going to work for him from the start um but i think that might be the guy i think it might be as a door off for a tatar trade and then you flip around and you trade one of your many draft picks one of your many prospects or a combination of both to pick up a depth veteran defenseman and stick him on that fourth line I hate the Tatar t- idea a lot Or less. A third
2: pair. Still still in favor of Jonathan Drouin. I'd love to see that. Yeah, for sure.
1: And then there's other players out there. You have Pajot in Ottawa. You got Kyle, Joe, Pal- or Palmieri. Kyle Palmieri, who is, as of the recording of this podcast, Tuesday night, is sitting out the game today for precautionary Sounds reasons. Sounds like
2: he's kind of the uh, the prettiest girl at the dance right now.
1: Yes. The thing is, do you want to make a trade with New Jersey? Because they just uh, took Blake Coleman, and they did an exceptional job of taking four teams and making them duke it out for this guy. Gave him the old switcheroo. And they ended up with a first-round draft pick and Nolan Fregan-Foot, who I think is better than his brother. Mm-hmm. Granted, they play different positions. Um, so maybe that's the guy. Uh, maybe Cal Palmieri is the guy. Joe Thornton is out there as a center. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk is out there as a skilled forward. So there's a lot of options. And then obviously you still have those big names, a like Chris Kreider and things like that. So there's a lot of options out there. Do I think the Avalanche are going to acquire one of these guys or you know somebody that we've not thought of? I know I, I mentioned Andre Attenasiu in the past and Pat Verbeek, Red Wings assistant GM, was at the game yesterday, so you never know. Um, yeah. Seeing guys in a minute, Sackic shake hands on a trade is something that I really want to see. That sounds really cool. Um, but... Are the Avalanche going to acquire one of these guys? Yes. But are they going to acquire two? Maybe. You never know. It just kind of sucks that they feel now with all these
2: injuries that they absolutely have to make a trade, Um, You know, especially with the kind of trades we've seen so far. The teams dealing the quote-unquote rental player were kind of the ones winning the trade. You'd hate to see them kind of have to get fleeced just out of necessity right now.
1: And that's why I like the fact that after the Rantanen injury and in the in the midst of the Avalanche going through this injury bug with Kadri and Calvert as well at forward, Elliot Friedman today said the Avalanche are looking for a hockey deal. A hockey deal doesn't mean let's trade a first, second, and a conditional third for Chris Kreider. A hockey deal means let's trade a Zadorov for a Druin or a Zadorov for a Tatar or uh, Ian Cole for whoever. Like It means that the Avalanche want to acquire somebody that's still part of the plan. And that's what I've wanted all along. But now with these injuries, I feel like they might do both. They might go out and pick up a rental guy like a Derek Brassard, a top seven-ish guy, a top nine-ish guy. And they might go out and make one of these hockey deals as well. Do you think a big reason that they haven't been able to get one
2: successfully done yet is because Byram is off limits? And that's probably what
1: everybody's asking for. That definitely could be a big possibility. I mean, we saw the Kyle Connor for Byram rumors that we talked about at last podcast. Um, but they still have a lot of pieces. They still do. I mean, Kamenev and Jost are reclamation projects. They're not going to get you a big-name player, but they can certainly be that throw-in. You know, a first uh, roster player, and hey, let's take uh, Kamenev and see what we can get out of him, maybe, kind of. Uh, it's kind of like when the Avalanche traded Ryan O'Reilly. The main pieces were a second-round draft pick, Dorov and Comfort. But let's take Mikhail Grigorenko just in case we could turn him into a player. So that's where you're at with Jost and Kamenev. Those guys are valuable when it comes to trades. Um, Connor Timmins. I know we talked about this last time, and you said his concussion issues, but, you know, I still think he has a lot of value, especially because he's a Canadian junior hockey player who played for Team Canada at the World Juniors, won gold medal, was sort of always compared to Makar as the two up-and-coming defensemen. So he's got a lot of... He's Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Same thing with Tyson Jost. When Jost was in juniors and in college, Canadian media loved that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they still kind of might. So you never know. So you still have value in that. Let's see what Martin Cout does today. You have your A.J. Greers and your Shane Bowers and all these guys. And then you have a whole bunch of draft picks. If the Avalanche trade their first-round draft pick this year and next year, who cares? You got Alex Newhook at Boston College who's ripping up the the, the, the the college scene, has 31 points in his last 22 games as a freshman, and looks like he's he's going to be a better player than we ever expected, and we already thought he might have been a good player. Mm-hmm. So now he's putting the Avalanche in a situation where, crap, how do we even let this guy go back for a sophomore season? So the Avalanche trade their first rounder this year and next year, who cares? They're in a position where they can do that. So yeah, they have absolutely. the pieces to go out and make these trades for sure. Even if Bowen Byram is off the table. I
2: hear you. You're right. It's gonna be a hell of a roller coaster this next couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. Not get too excited about what we see on Twitter and wait till things are confirmed, people. Wait yes. till things are confirmed. Yes. Um, but other than that, that's all we got on the trade deadline. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there uh, on trade deadline or otherwise before we get to the three stars of the week?
1: Uh, no, that's about it. I mean, I know you mentioned it earlier, but Elliot Freeman also did say that he does think that Colorado checked out Corey Crawford. But, you know, that's all he said about it. So maybe at one point the Avalanche were looking at a goalie, but I think that was more before Z- uh, before Grubauer got hurt. I think that was more when Grubauer was playing bad. Mm-hmm. But he's been good the last six to ten games. Uh, I looked at a number today where over the last, I think it was 40 days, and I don't know why they've made a chart of 40 days. It was from January 6th or 7th until now. Uh, Grubauer was a top five goalie at even strength, safe percentage at 965.
2: It's just funny how, you know, just a couple days after we were talking about how he had just crossed that threshold of the most games he's ever played in a season. He picked he it broke. up. broke. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he did both. He picked it up and he broke. <laughs> he picked and, it up and he broke. Yeah. But, so. I mean, if I
1: had Ian Cole's ass coming straight into my face while wearing two pillows on my legs, I'd probably be broken too. Right.
2: And, like I said, it didn't look like that bad of an injury, so let's just expect him to bounce back and be 100 But, yeah, 100%. and one
1: final note on that, you know, he was seen at the Pepsi Center yesterday. We saw him during the pregame, uh, uh, the pregame skate, the morning skate, I should say, and uh, he was seen by fans uh, in the Zamboni Hallway. During the game as well, when I saw him, I was walking to Jared Bender's press conference after the morning skate, and I saw him walking, no boot, no brace. He was walking. It didn't look like he was limping, but it didn't look like he was walking too fast. So, you know, I, I'm not a goalie. I didn't play goalie like you. I've never worn goalie pads before. So I don't know what kind of injury it could have been. Like you said, what could have possibly hurt when that happened? It could have been an ankle. It could have been a knee. Maybe it was his hip. You know, hip when, his, groin. when his hip extended, it could be a groin.
2: Which was funny. When it first happened, I thought for sure it was a head.
1: Yeah, me too. Because Cole's ass went right yeah. into his head. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it is it is lower body, and we don't know for sure what it is. But uh, Nurse said as of yesterday that he's going to undergo more testing before we before we can find out more. And I'll be at the morning skate tomorrow, so I'll update. Check me out on Twitter, run right Arif, and I'll have your updates for you.
2: Let's go. You're getting popular. I even saw. I'm trying. There's a. There's a Spanish hockey fan that I started following just to connect with the Spanish hockey community more, literally from Spain, because it's starting to grow over there. He quote tweeted you the other day, and I I felt so proud of you. Oh, nice. Felt so proud of you. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, But yeah, really excited to see what's going to happen around Avalanche Land these next couple days. I love when they're giving us stuff to talk about. We don't have to dig and dig. Filled up a whole podcast, no problem, just now. Let's hurry up and get these three stars of the week, because I'm eager. I'm sure the listeners are eager to hear this Ryan Graves interview. So, star... Well, got to intro it. Three stars of the week, Mile High Sports, brought to you by us too. even though it was more more kind of me this week. Star number three, I'm going to give it to EuroLanch. Just another great, what they call, invasion. I love when these guys, uh, the European fan club comes. They plan a whole trip. You know it takes them all year to plan this, and they just come and have themselves a hell of a time here in Denver and yep. visit the sites. They go to breweries. They see things I haven't even seen in my – I've lived here for 31 years, hmm. and they're they're – seeing more Colorado than I ever have they're such nice people I don't know if you've had the chance to talk to them but you know they're led by uh, Dave Puchowski and he's he's a gem of a human I'm sure it's a lot of takes a toll on him to kind of organize and be the president of this fan club and make this trip happen every year and you know try to make it a pleasant experience for everybody so I love when those guys come to town I'm glad they got some even public uh, or some national publicity this year
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to dig deep into the history books for me personally because I haven't always have been a big Avalanche nerd. Uh, Back in the day, I was part of the Avalanche's online forum. I don't know if you've ever seen that, the Mm -mm. fan forum they had on their website. Uh, We're talking 2006. Like this fan forum was how I found out about David Abisher getting traded for Jose Theodore. Me in middle school, just an Avalanche nerd in Detroit. Uh, David Pahovsky, or however you say his last name, uh, was part of that podcast. And I always knew him as that guy that was from Europe. Suddenly in 2007, he posted on the forum this Eurolanch website. And we're like, what the hell is this? And then I stopped using that podcast because I got into high school and realized how much of a loser I looked like. And then, t- <laughs> and then Twitter became a thing, and that became sort of your new online hockey forum because that's ultimately what we all use it for. Right. And then years later, you know, around the Patrick Waugh coaching era or 2013 and Joe Sacco's years in 2012, suddenly EuroLanch is coming to Denver, and I was like, holy crap. So I've known about this guy for quite a while. I've talked to him a few times. Uh, I remember I booked a trip to Florida myself as a, as a hockey fan back in 2015 and I went to games in Sunrise and in Tampa Bay uh, and he was there. It was part of his uh, him and his crew as part of their trip So I got to talk to him and I told him, hey I'm that nerd and my you know username was so, so and so and such and such and we got to talk and I, I haven't talked to him much since then but yeah I do know about these guys and it's just great to see them you know getting this coverage. Yeah, I mean, no
2: other hockey team has this fan club like them, let alone one that comes all the way across the ocean just to watch their team. Yeah, and you know, I love the, just kind of the the initiative that they have. They really have plans and they have a lot of goals. And I, I wish people would be more open to listening to their ideas because they have a lot more ideas. You got to think European fan bases are a lot more passionate than American ones. For so sure. So they really want to try to. They really, they really want to try to replicate that in American hockey. That same, that same love that you'll see in European soccer. And I'm all for it. I've been saying that for six years now. Yeah. Um, I wish things could get rowdy. So star number three, EuroLanch, great to see you guys. I didn't get to see them in person this time, but you know, I always follow them, and I'll continue to do so. Star number two is going to Tyler Toffoli. How can you not? To be the yeah. first guy to score a hat trick in an outdoor game. Granted, That's I a always, great stat. I always throw an asterisk on a, on a hat trick that gets completed on an empty net. But, oh, come on. That'll knock out half of
1: a hat tricks. Let's <laughs> not go there. <laughs>
2: It is what it is, and it it was—I mean—great to see somebody do something great that night. um, And crazy that that was just his last game as an LA King, and it kind of felt that way for him, you know, just the way you were watching it. So,
1: yep. I mean, we uh, we we've seen what the trade deadline can do. I'm not sure if you saw the the press conference or not the press conference, but just the interview, the media availability that Brendan Dillon had with San Jose media yesterday, and they asked him about the deadline, and he got choked up and started crying Mm -hmm. and said, "Sorry, guys," and had to walk off. Did see that? Uh, during the Toffoli and Kopitar press conference that I was talking about at, after the Stadium Series, um, someone asked Kopitar about Toffoli, saying, "Hey, this guy just scored a hat trick. He's your line mate. You set up those two goals in the final minute. You guys have, you know, been together for a while for ten years. There's rumors out there. What's your thoughts?" And you know, Kopitar started to talk about him. We've won together. It's a bond. It's a brotherhood, and things like that. And you look over at Toffoli, and you can see him just. Inches away from breaking down, you can tell he had that shiver down his spine. His mm-hmm. his eyes were starting to well up. Like, holy crap, this is it. I'm gonna, you know, especially when you win with with a yeah. with a player with a team Absolutely. with some teammates, it's hard. Um, so you saw it coming, but if that's the way he's gonna end his Kings uh his Kings career it was a hell of a way to do it, man. He came into Colorado, he upset the one of the best teams in the Western Conference that was riding high at the time, and scored three goals and. The first outdoor game hat trick in uh, NHL history, Um, and then he gets traded to Vancouver a couple days later and reunited with Tanner Pearson. So, you know everything everything comes around. You win some, you lose
2: some, huh? Yeah. Yep, I agree. It was whatever. It's whatever. Good to see Tyler Toffoli do that, but yeah, stung. Yeah. That's why he deserves a star number two. But star number one of this week has to go to every single Avalanche fan that attended that outdoor game. God bless you guys. God bless your hearts. I know it was tough. Uh, I know you paid a lot of money. You sacrificed a lot of time out of your Saturday to go make this happen. And, you know, it didn't work out for everyone, which you hate to see it. Yeah. But again, like we said at the beginning, it is what it is. It's behind us. Let's move on. Yeah. Focus on uh, the real task at hand, and that's Avs making some noise in the playoffs, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, you guys dealt with the traffic issues. You guys dealt with the cold. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say the traffic issue and the cold are the big concerns. I'd say more or less it was the logistics, the lack of food and beer, the muddy parking lots, the lack of security. The, you know, it's just the, 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 been ride, the ride share program. There was a lot of horror stories. Should have been at Folsom Field up in Boulder. Yeah. That
2: would have been a, a much much know, more man. delightful time, I think. That,
1: that big bowl called Mile High Stadium sitting on top of Denver looks pretty sweet, too. That's
2: true. That's true. Well, other than that, I don't think we have anything else to touch on. Ran pretty long here, but that's only because we have a lot of things to say. I'm excited to get back here uh, next week and recap the trade deadline. And um the,
1: the many moves that Joe Sackick is probably going to
2: make. Yep. Hopefully nothing out of desperation and, not, and they don't get fleeced too bad. Yeah. Um, other than that, enjoy this Ryan Graves interview. I know... Uh, Arif's really pumped about it. So am I. So um, let us know how we're doing. Say what's up to us uh, on Twitter. If you see us in the streets. For Arif, I'm JJ. We at you.
1: So obviously it was a tough game today. You guys get that first goal. You go down by two. Ranking goes out. And you guys mount that comeback. Very physical game. So just explain that atmosphere leading into that
0: overtime. It felt like, kind of like a playoff game. Uh, I mean, we showed good character coming back. Those are uh, Give up, we were buzzing all game. We, despite the adversity and the goals we gave up, we, we, we're still going at 3-1. And even though we gave up three straight, and Mack leading the way with that 3-2 goal, and then a nice, effort big by uh, the power play on that third goal. It's just huge. Uh, so you know, overall, I mean, it is what it is in overtime. We uh, need to find a way to get those points, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a character effort, and um, you know, it's, a, it's a step in the direction for our group. And obviously,
1: it didn't end the way that you wanted it. You may have wanted that win in overtime, but uh, leading into that overtime, the top line—you and Macar, and McKinnon, Burakovsky—you guys seem to take over the game. So how much can you know? How much do you guys need to do something like that when Branson goes down?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, when we've dealt with it already this year with injuries, that um, when when someone goes down, you need to find a way. You need to find guys to step up, and um, I mean, the bulk of the load always falls on Mac, and he's a he's a. So leader with Landy, and um, I mean he's our offensive leader for sure. And, but uh, guys are stepping up. I mean, you see Val shipping in with one there, with, an, with a shot from Kale. Uh, I mean other guys are buzzing. Like Josi had some chances, came in some chances, um, and it's up in the lineup. Some Good four checks by Belly, things like that that uh, that really pay off, and they might not be goals, but they kind of uh, build energy and they get our group going. And um, I think that again character, effort, and um, something to build off, regardless of the outcome.
1: And then that play in the third period where you stepped in front of uh, you know the player that was going after McKinney, sort of threw a lot of energy from the crowd. Sort of explain what happened there.
0: I mean, he's our he's our leader, he's our top player. You don't get to, guys don't get to take wax at him, um, and it's not just me. Everybody in this room would step in the same way. You don't have the guy takes a run at him. and Max, a strong guy, stands him up, and they're crying about it and coming after him. And you don't get to do that. same thing would happen if Kucherov, uh, one of our guys, going after Kucherov, and the guys would step in. So um, it's the way the league is. You don't. You don't get free whacks at, at our best players, and um, see it with comp too. I mean, guys are coming in. There's five five man scrum, and we uh, we all support each other regardless.